You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. Here we go. Welcome back to the Resilient Humans Podcast. I have a special guest today, Ashley Mack. Uh, We've been in the same kind of fitness realm for for quite a few years. I believe you're a, a how many years of a gym ownership for yourself? I've been an owner. I was a gym owner from 2017 to 2020. Gotcha. Um, and that's where we got into the circle together. Yeah. And uh, I read a really interesting stat or uh, a fact about you that you have a personal record of holding your breath for five minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah, it was That's ridiculous. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It was uh it was really cool. I told my wife that and she wasn't happy to hear that because she got really worried. She was like, I don't ever want you to pass out on me. And <laughs> I was like, no, no, babe, it's uh it's it's all good. I got it, I got it all in control. It it took a fair amount of practice. I got really intrigued with uh Wim Hof and his breathing and the ice baths and just seeing everyone on Instagram doing all the ice baths and everything. I live out here in California and uh, right now we're recording this at the beginning of January. And so right now we're in the rainy season and, uh, my, my initial thought process, I don't have the space for an ice bath itself. And so for me to have to repeatedly fill an ice tub with water, isn't the greatest from a sustainability standpoint out here. So, um, being that it is the winter time, I'll take the first, uh, I don't know, 30 to 45 seconds when I turn on the water where it's just ice cold and I'll do my breathing and that. But then um, when it comes to breathing itself, I find huge benefits. And that's why I started to really practice the Wim Hof breathing, just like any sort of other routine or exercise, you have to actually put the time in. And so I would say in 2021, I had a lot of time where I was able to focus, we'll say 15, 20 minutes a day on Wim Hof breathing and I download the app and you actually have a breath retention timer, which ends up playing music and instructions. And I just got so into the zone and I opened up my eyes and I looked at the timer and it was five and a half minutes. And I I'm sure I would have been able to hold it a little bit longer, but then I also kind of freaked myself out. And then when you freak yourself out, your brain starts to consume a lot more oxygen. And then I said, okay, I guess I'll stop, stop it right there. And so I paused five and a half minutes, boom. And I felt fine. I felt very accomplished. And uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for pr- providing me a platform to share that. That's a, that's a crazy story. So literally just two days ago, I did a, a cold tub exposure. Uh, it's not zero degrees or freezing, but it's, it's still cold. And it was also for five minutes and 30 seconds. I, I cannot imagine holding my breath for that long being in that water. Um, definitely my, I tried to control my breathing and bring it down so that it wasn't yeah. as, you know, hyperventilating or anything. And it's definitely what you said. It's repeated practice. It's that exposure over and over again. Uh, that will definitely help with it. So anyway, yeah, that's a, a neat way to intro this. I, I like that. Um, oh, cool. So you are a physical therapist and you've been doing that for yeah. at least a decade. Is that right? Oh yeah. Literally it'll be a full decade. Oh yeah. At least a decade. Um, May 2012 was my 10 year anniversary. So nice. I crossed that threshold where someone says, okay, I'm like it's like, this is my career type of thing. And, um, 
and I'll tell you, it was, it was quite the transition. I remember even just like the first two years, um, the first two years of my career, well, even the first year I worked in a typical physical therapy clinic, or, um, if you're in Canada, physiotherapy clinics, or if you're in the UK, everywhere else, physiotherapy. And, uh, I, I, I love what I do. I think that's one of the, I've, I've been very lucky throughout my entire life and career where every single decision that I made happened to be in my favor. One of the big things is I tend to migrate towards the activities that I happen to be really good at. And so taking care of people was something that I happen to be very, very good at. And so I was working in the clinic. Turns out that the clinic working for someone else wasn't really quite for me. I'm just not the best employee because I, I like to move to my own rhythm. And uh, in, in a way, I was actually getting people better faster than than the typical plans of care. And one of the big things that I've been working on even over the past two years was just identifying, well, the, the healthcare system, uh, just in general, we can say specific, I'll, I'll speak on behalf of the, the US healthcare system, but technically the healthcare industry, if you're really good at what you do, if you happen to fix people very, very quickly, it's technically bad for business, right? Because of the fact that with every other business, you're good. You, if you have good operations and you're providing a fantastic service, you're going to have repeat customers. The challenge is, is that when you're in rehab, taking care of people, if someone's coming in for back pain and I fix them in two visits, that's great. I'm so, and, and, and for me, that's my personal mission, get to people to the point where they can just go work with trainers and live their life without having to see me and pretty much render my entire profession or my job obsolete. But that also means that the reality is I'm going to have to spend a lot of time trying to find new clients or try to find other ways to, to help people, which is, which I'm totally fine with as well. But it was an interesting thing because the, the question is, is the, is it better to, to completely cure someone or is it better to just slowly heal someone so you can extend their length of time? And that was a big debate and struggle that I've been trying or big question I've been trying to answer over the past couple of years. It's like, how can I get people better faster get to the point where they don't need me, but also how can I grow? And the reality is that there's billions of people on this earth. We've just crossed 8 billion people, right? And so if I can even just, even 1% of that, right? It's it's still a ton of folks that I can help. So uh, sorry, I kind of went on a tangent there. No, no, that's good. <laughs> so what, I, I guess I want to know, and if you've noticed what is causing most of the people to come see you? Do you find that it's more like acute injuries, like sport related? And that can be very specific to the type of physiotherapist or the physical therapist that you're going to see, obviously, or do you find it's coming more from like chronic diseases that, that are causing these issues? Yeah, it's a great question for me. So I, uh, for the listeners out there, I serve people on a couple different fronts. Um, the first one is actually in-person physical therapy. So I'm actually a fully licensed therapist in California. Uh, I live in specifically in Marin County, California. So whenever I'm doing home visits or if I rent out space, I rent out space at a local CrossFit gym, um, I'll work with folks uh, within a 30-minute radius. And that's where we're doing a fair amount of hands-on. That is actually where I'm going to be seeing the greatest range of people um, from, a, from a recovery standpoint, because I'll work with people who have hip and knee replacements. People who are having hip and knee replacements are usually 
55 plus. Um, what I've noticed actually out here in California is that the 55 over community is actually way more active than any community that I've been in, um, even on the East Coast. And that was a, a cool eye-opener and something that I find to be really enjoyable. But then also, if you look at under 55, we're looking at chronic and acute injuries, but these are really more so related. Um, I see a couple trauma, as in like trip and falls, um, but I do see a lot of people where it's a little bit more, not necessarily traumatic, but people who are really interested in being fit. So they're either having an old nagging injury that continues to get flared up, and the activities that they're doing, whether it be CrossFit or running, Jiu-Jitsu, any of those activities, they love these activities themselves, but that said activity is actually flaring up these injuries. And so with my background, I've, I've been a gym owner, I've been a CrossFit athlete uh, as a physical therapist, being able to tie all this stuff in together. One of the things I found to be really interesting was the concept of uh, and it actually relates perfectly to this podcast because we're talking about resilient humans, right? And what I find to be really interesting is that when it comes to the concept of resiliency, we look at this basis of, in a way, I think resiliency, I think strong, tough bullets pretty much bouncing off of you, right? That's the type of resilience that we're looking at. But it got me really taking a deep dive into the, the concept of pain. And from there, I actually transitioned not just from like the physiological mechanisms of like of pain and the healing process, but also the mechanical, how we move. And then the third part is our brains, how we perceive the electrical stimuluses that we get from, uh, from our daily activities, from our body. And I think it's important for us to be resilient when we're resilient, when we're strong, when we're healthy. We don't need to see people like me. We don't need to see people because we're experiencing pain. And one thing that I truly believe in when it comes to the concept of pain, I think there's a there's a huge difference between pain and discomfort. And what I've been really focusing on when it comes to helping people is actually helping them get out of pain so they can experience the discomfort, so they can actually push themselves, so they can go into being into that resilient mode. The truth is, the truth of the matter is, is that when you're in pain, the first goal that you have is to fix that, whether it be an old nagging pain that prevents you from doing your activity um, or a completely new pain that prevents you from doing said activity because your doctor tells you not to, or you go on the internet and says, the internet tells you that you should be doing said activity, um, all these different things. And so when it comes to leading into the, the resiliency standpoint, the building up of your ability to, to do things, pain is just that obstacle. And I'm and I, and I help people get over that roadblock. And I think it's important that, that people clarify the difference between like pain and discomfort, because I think a lot of people confuse the two. So being a physical therapist, you know, the difference, how would somebody who's let's say new to discovering their body, how would they know the difference between discomfort and pain? Because a lot of people do, they, they mix the two up just like uh, people mix up hunger and their appetite. They feel like it's the same thing, but it's really not. So how, how would you dif differentiate between discomfort and pain? This is a, it's a great question. I'm so glad you, you asked that because I think we're so, I think if we look at it, uh, we'll say pain and discomfort operate on a spectrum um, in regards to like, we'll say, we'll say like normal baseline feeling, which is just, this is how you feel. 
And then you add a little bit more stress to how you feel, and that's going to be a little bit more discomfort. And then you push even more stress. And that's where we're going to get into what is called the pain cycle. And so uh, pain itself, and I'll, and I'll help uh, everyone focus on the concept of like what pain is. Pain is all that pain is. It's an electrical and chemical signal that actually happens in your brain. And so what ends up happening is that this chemical signal gets passed up into your brain, actually gets processed in what is called the thalamus. And the thalamus actually is um, specifically the, the central processing center of the brain itself and actually helps you determine what are you actually experiencing at this moment. And it's very contextual. And what that means is you get this electrical signal, but then you have to look at the outside surroundings and say, well, what is the context I'm experiencing this electrical signal? Pain was actually used as a survival mechanism that actually protects, protected us uh, back back in the day when uh, we didn't have back in the day when we were nomadic and we had to like fight for fight for our lives. Literally, these signals protected us from making sure that we weren't going to get eaten by like a saber tooth tiger or something like that. But then also, it was something to help us identify. Well, if we broke our leg. We can't walk on that leg anymore because it's broken. So it's a it's a protective mechanism, making sure that we're not furthering injuring ourselves. What's really interesting is as we've um, gone through the times, we haven't really had as many opportunities to run away from a like from a tiger, or haven't had too many opportunities where we're putting ourselves at a risk of breaking a bone. Now, if you're outside and being uh, out in the wilderness, there's always some sort of risk, you know, any sort of physical activity. And so that's what pain is, right? Discomfort is going to be experienced in the stresses. Your body is actually going to adapt to those stresses. Now, how do we figure out the difference between the two? What's really interesting is that the human mind, we are actually quite intuitive beings because there are a couple of different things. One, if you're trying to do, learn an entirely new motor skill, if you're trying to learn how to lift a weight, if you're trying to learn how to do something, your body, it's going to feel awkward. Everyone has this point where they're trying to do something and they're like, I'm going through this entire motor learning process. This is a new skill. This probably doesn't feel very comfortable as in it, it doesn't feel bad. But I think I know what I'm trying to go through something. It's it's like, doesn't necessarily feel right, but it doesn't feel wrong. And that's what I would say discomfort is, where it doesn't feel like it's a baseline, but it doesn't feel like you're doing something wrong. It doesn't feel scary. Pain, on the other hand, is going to be, is, is your brain telling you, whatever I'm doing right now, this is wrong. This is not for me. And to be able to experience that. And so... I think uh, like we'll take exercise, for example, uh, if you're exercising, you're working out. Um, the reality is that we and I, I know for myself, I use exercise as a stress reliever, as a way to help myself get stronger and better. And the thing is, the fact that the moment I step into the gym, all of my outside problems, they don't exist because the moment you walk through those doors, you're there to lift, you're there to work out. But what a lot of people what I've noticed is that where a lot of injuries actually occur is that you go into the gym and you think, okay, I can go ahead and just turn my brain off. I'm going to do this mindless activity. And when you do this mindless activity, that's where you're going to be putting yourself in, in, in kind of harm's way. But if you put yourself more into that moment and say, this is what I'm doing, do this specific activity, this activity doesn't necessarily feel right, but it doesn't feel wrong. Okay. This is safe to proceed going through. And it's like putting yourself at risk of pain. 
oh my gosh, this activity or this thing that I'm doing feels extremely wrong to me, that is a sign that you might be on the path to generating some sort of pain mechanism for you. Yeah. We, we talked about on an episode before about when you're exercising, do you tune in or tune out? Now, I think it's very movement specific. Like there's certain times where it's okay to tune out. Like if you're just on a rower, yeah, tune out, just go. Right. But if you're lining up for a one rep max clean and jerk or a snatch, you can't tune out. You you have to stay tuned in. Otherwise there's a good chance that pain and injury are going to follow suit and you might get out of it luckily, but if you keep tuning out, eventually it's going to catch up to you. I really like what you said about pain and discomfort being on a spectrum and, you know, a personal story in relation to that. I've been doing these cold tub exposures. Being in it is extremely uncomfortable. I want to get out of there. Everything is telling my brain, you should not be here. You should get out now because it's, it's not fun, but I could see how that could turn to pain if I stayed in there long enough. And so that's where that spectrum comes in. So when I'm, when I'm in there, I'm thinking to myself, yes, it's uncomfortable. I'm, I'm experiencing discomfort, but I haven't reached a moment where it's dangerous, where pain is starting to kick in. I'm sure if it was filled with ice and I was in it for 20 minutes, okay, it's going to tick over very quickly from discomfort to pain. And there's going to be some long lasting, um, you know, results from that, which I don't want to experience. So I think that's what it all goes back to that tuning in, being in tune with what's the feeling. Is this right? Is it wrong? And just knowing, right. Yeah. I think it's important. I mean, especially like when it comes to ice, ice baths, like it's really contextual because, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to, um, saw about the, the movie Titanic, right. And there is a scene in the movie Titanic. It was one of my favorite movies. And uh, there was a scene where uh, Rose Dawson, uh, Kate Winslet's character, is about to jump into the ocean because she felt like um, there was no there was no way out of whatever situation that she was in. And uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character actually describing what it feels like to fall into cold ice water. And I was, when this movie came out when I was like 13 years old, I, I like, I had the experience of swimming in a cold pool, but not like ice cold water. And so him describing you go and it feels like there's a thousand knives being stabbed into your skin. Me even just listening to that description, my body already tensed up. And I was like, I was already starting to experience the pain, but it was a contextual thing, right? I was hearing this description and my body was on guard, but now 20 plus years later, you have people like Wim Hof, Kevin, like the people that you look up to when it comes to like talking about the importance of ice baths and talking about how you can deal with that discomfort. It actually melted away a lot of that fear and anxiety. Right. And so it's that that contextual thing. And what's really interesting about the pain is that we can actually elicit pain just based on the context itself. Like I I hope not everyone has ever had put like I remember I I've done this twice as a kid and you would think that I would learn after the first time. But twice as a kid, I uh, back in back in the day when they had cigarette lighters uh, in the cars, I remember <laughs> pushing the cigarette lighter and I looked at it and it wasn't glowing red like it would say it was hot. Right. But me being the stupid child that I was, I touched the cigarette letter, burned my finger. And I had like two or three weeks of significant pain because I burned my finger. Right. 
the thing is the fact that I did it again, but apparently I didn't learn. But now as an adult, if I think about cigarette lighters, my finger actually starts to hurt because of the memory that is associated with the fact that I burned myself. And so that now I say, okay, I'm not going to touch that cigarette lighter, no matter how cold or how cool it looks, because I remember how painful it was. So it's, it's that pain is also really tied to memories as well. And one of the big things, especially if you've been dealing with pain, uh, to clarify pain and not discomfort for a long period of time, your body is actually really accustomed to experiencing pain. So your body is constantly in this uh, fight or flight mode to avoid that scenario, which it actually trickles down to every other concept or facet of your life where you're trying to avoid pain. But being able to say, yeah, pain, discomfort, not feeling any of pain and discomfort as well also operates on a spectrum is uh, is key. Kind of mentioned this or kind of led up into it, but I do believe that pain has a purpose. Like there's there's a purpose to it, and pain is important. Can you dive into that and tell us why why it is important? Yeah, gladly. And so, pain itself is a protective mechanism to make sure that we don't get hurt, to make sure that we don't die. And so, the reality, and I think they did a couple of different studies. Um, of folks who actually didn't have those pain centers in their brain. And it actually, that pain itself is tied to emotion. It also drives us to making decisions. And the reality is what, what they found uh, in these research studies, and I'll try to see if I can find these articles. But what was interesting was the fact that the pain itself, um, it drove our decisions. It actually protected us from doing significantly risky behaviors. Jumping into an ice tub is not a risky behavior. Uh, jumping off a building without a parachute, that's a very risky behavior. So that in itself, the, the presence of pain actually allows us to live longer uh, in, in a way. It helps us actually drive human innovation because of the fact that we are trying to make things, say, a little bit easier, less painful, so we can get the job done. Um I almost like a kind of, it's like a risk management system. Yes, risk management exactly. Yeah. Cool. And it it may seem obvious, but why is it important for us to get out of pain? It sounds like an obvious question, but I'd like to hear your take on it. Yeah. So, um one, getting out of pain is actually going to prevent us from getting hurt from from damaging our tissues specifically. Um because if we have damaged tissues, if you have a damaged bone, I mean, one, if you have a, if you have a broken arm, you're not going to be able to transmit force. You're not going to be able to operate that arm effectively because the muscles and the, the, the muscle damage, the bone damage, you're not going to be able to do any set of sort of activity. Um, also it helps us stay alive, but for us to get out of pain, um, I like to think about it this way, uh, or there, there's this, there's this, uh, saying, I don't know who it, who, who said it because it's been repeated so many times, but it's, um, a healthy person has a, has a million dreams. An unhealthy person only has one dream and that is to get healthy. So it's really the big roadblock in regards to being able to experience life because everything that you're doing when you're living in pain, everything you're doing is, is going to have an asterisk behind it or, or on it. And it really puts a huge damper on our ability to enjoy things, our ability to um, establish good 
meaningful relationships, there's always going to be something that kind of gets brought up or it's kind of like the speed bump. And the reality is that you can't drive over a speed of about like 70 miles an hour. That's going to destroy your car, right? And so you have it ends up making you more careful, more cautious. It actually prevents you from truly enjoying life because it ends up creating this fear of experiencing more pain. I've noticed this over the years of of being a gym owner, and, and you probably experience the same thing. But a lot of people, when they come in, or even before they come in, they put up all these roadblocks of saying, uh, this hurts or that hurts, or I have a bad knee or bad shoulder. And it really stops them, not just from joining the gym, but from just doing the activities that they either formerly like to do or would like to do. Um, how, how do you get the message out to them and what is that message to them? Yeah. So I think one of the interesting things, especially that we are at the beginning of the year, like if someone's dealing with an, an acre pain and, and they actually go to the gym, I mean, that's the hardest part is like just, just stepping into the gym itself because gyms usually you're going to have weights, you're going to have people moving around, you're going to have some really fit people, you're going to have some people who are just starting off in their fitness journey. So already, and I know this for myself, uh, being a gym owner for five five years, I actually even, I myself would actually get nervous sweats and anxiety, even stepping to a gym that is, wasn't even mine. And so the fact that you step into the gym, you're already overcoming a, a large barrier. But then in addition to that, if you are dealing with an acute pain, the really cool thing is that the human body is has has many joints. And this is one of the things that I really learned from the CrossFit world was that the CrossFit world says that everything is infinitely scalable. That means that if you have a, a, a banged up shoulder, if your shoulder is really bothering you, the really great thing is the fact that you have another shoulder, you have your wrist and elbow, but you also have your core and your legs that you can actually work. So that means that you don't necessarily need to work and train and push that painful body part because you have the rest of your body that you can actually work and exercise. And that's a really important thing that I think people should remember is that you have your entire body that that can move around. And I even know for myself, uh, right now, my main method of fitness is uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, I got my elbow, arm bar, I got my arm I got arm barred a little too aggressively and my elbow was sore. And I said, okay, well, I could take off three weeks to let my elbow heal. But luckily with my physical therapy brain, I said, okay, I, I know how to recover from this. But then also number two, that means that, okay, for the next two to three weeks, let me go ahead and protect that arm, make sure I don't ever set that arm up for attacks moving forward. And so again, there, there are many ways around it. So then that way you can still get the same benefit or the same, if not better, because you can focus on other areas that you might not have been able to address if it weren't for that injury. One of my biggest pet peeves as a gym owner, and it, it really goes back to all or nothing thinking, if this little thing hurts, then I'm just not going to do anything at all. Well, that's not going to help any anything. Nothing's going to get better as a result of turning everything off. So um, yeah, I love what you said. Just everything is scalable. We can modify, change things up, make sure that you can move. We love saying motion is lotion. It's, go it's going to help in the long run. And if you can create blood flow using the other healthy joints in your body, it's probably going to help the injured area, even though you're not specifically using it. For sure. It, there is, um, I mean, one of the big things 
one of the most common terminologies that they would use is uh, is the rice method, rest, ice, compression, elevation. And what's really interesting is that I think over even over the past five, six years, the concept of adding ice has actually been uh, been reduced. Um, actually, the guy who wrote the rice method actually re refuted his his findings. Um, but then also like the concept of rest, and we're talking about it's. And so it's important to clarify rest as we're looking at what is called relative rest, where if your activity is actually caused by an overuse injury, that means that you should not be stimulating that painful area as often. But the truth of the matter is, is the fact that the majority of us in the, the Western world or like the developed world is that we're not having very physical lifestyles unless you are a farmer who is out uh, working in the fields eight to 10 hours a day bed rest is probably not the the thing to do in fact bed rest is only effective for a very very small percentage of people and again we live in a big world and so if a very small percentage um and especially if you already live a pretty sedentary life doing more rest might actually do more harm because you're going to get stiff and you're going to have reduced blood flow you're also going to feel even worse because of the fact that if you're not moving and you're not exercising, you're not going to get those endorphins. You're not going to get that ability to get your heart rate up. And when you get your heart rate up, even when you exercise, what's really cool is like motion is lotion for sure, because even just moving the joints themselves, you're going to increase what is called the synovial fluid within the joint, which is what keeps joints nice and smooth. But the concept of movement actually results in your body releasing some anti-inflammatory hormones and that's actually where we're going to start to feel a lot better. And um, another interesting point about say, well, even say soft tissue injuries, um, soft tissue injuries, like the, the reality is that pain doesn't always necessarily equate to true tissue damage. But when you have tissue damage, uh, the majority of the pain that we feel when it comes to tissue damage is actually because of the swelling that occurs in a joint or an area. It's not the fact that there's like a little wearing away of a specific joint, but that the byproduct is that swelling and it's the swelling that actually re results mostly in the pain that we feel. And I know that a lot of people are fearful of swelling. They want to get rid of it, but it's actually our body's way of healing that injured area. And so it's not about getting rid of the inflammation. It's about managing the inflammation. Yeah. It's, it's important to have that balance. And I think um, I mean, we know that pain is very protective, but also pain also helps us drive our decisions. It's our risk management system. But again, if we, we, and we know in the complete absence of pain, we're going to be what most people would call reckless because we don't understand the consequences of what we're going to be doing. And so it allows us to live and operate on this spectrum. And it's a, it's, it's a miraculous thing, but yeah, trying to avoid inflammation itself. And the, there's a difference between like localized inflammation in regards to the, the swelling that you experience in one specific painful body part as compared to what we call systemic inflammation. Systemic inflammation is actually something that it's like, it addresses your entire body. That's where you're looking at stuff like lupus, people who have autoimmune disorders where there's a significant amount of inflammation in the body, or even people with diabetes um, diabetes itself, if you're having a lot of free floating, uh, glucose, if your sugar levels are very, very high, having that high level of sugars is actually quite toxic because it actually facilitates more inflammation it actually results in nerve degeneration. And that's why it's so important for us to be able to 
eat right, keep our blood sugars in check. So then that way we can avoid that systemic inflammation because that's where we're running some more, some more issues. Awesome. And I understand you have a, um, a specialty we'll call it. Um, and, and I follow it. It's, it's good information and it's, I fix your sciatica. Tell me, but first off, what is sciatica? What causes it? And what do you do about it? Yeah, thank, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. So, um, so sciatica, let's start talk about what it is first. Um, so sciatica, the diagnosis, it's actually a diagnosis. Um, it's a, and the diagnosis is actually a, a description of the pain that you can experience. And so the sciatic nerve extends all the way from your low back and it travels all the way down your leg. So if you're ever experiencing pain that goes from your low back to your buttock, to your hamstring, to your calf or the front of your shin, or even your foot, that is irritation along the sciatic nerve. And so if you've ever had that pain in the absence of any sort of muscle injury to any one of those specific areas, it could be an irritation of the sciatic nerve. And the sciatic nerve itself is actually the longest nerve in the body. It actually extends from the uh, nerve roots or the spinal levels of L4, L5, S1, S2, and S3. So those are the vertebral or the spinal levels of where those nerves exit. And whenever you have pain in that distribution, we're looking at some sort of nerve irritation. And the truth is, is the fact that with diagnoses, people often, if you're, if you're saying, well, I'm having sciatica, like what are the best stretches that I can do? Oftentimes it's going to be a mishmash of exercises for bends, backwards, bends, twists, pigeon stretches, and everything like that. And it can be really challenging because you'll have, I think the last time I checked, there's 21 million articles on sciatica stretches themselves. Uh, this was on Google. I think I Googled it like two weeks ago. And so one article you'll see, okay, well, the forward bend is a great stretch for sciatica pain. Then the second article you're going to see, they're going to say forward bending is the worst, is the worst stretch for you. And my specialty in the development of ifixyoursciatica.com came out of a period of frustration because of the fact that every, every, every person is unique. We all have a pretty general similarity when it comes to anatomy, especially when it comes to spinal function. But there are a lot of causes to pain in itself. And we live in a world where we're having an infinite amount of knowledge. And all that knowledge is great, but it can be overwhelming. And so I built this platform to make it so that we can really reduce all the guesswork on sciatica pain, because I believe that people should live pain-free. Uh, this is also an area where a large part of the population actually goes through, and also they go through it, but they also suffer from it as well because of all this information. And so I wanted to be able to create a platform for people to get that clarity uh, and help so they can return back into going, doing CrossFit, being a resilient human, because again, uh, it's, it's going to be a huge roadblock from preventing them from actually enjoying all the, of all the other activities that they want to do in life. It's awesome. And I guess what, what would be the main cause of sciatica that you, that you've noticed? So, uh, and how can people prevent the... it? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay. So let's talk about, um, so about three, three major causes of, uh, so the first major cause is going to be structural in regards to 
structurals and tissues. And so if you look at in the spine, we have two major structures. We have our bones themselves, the vertebrae, and we also have the discs. A lot of people can experience disc herniations and disc herniations is a weakening of the spinal disc, which often acts as a shock absorber. And it acts kind of like models that people describe the spinal disc as is like a jelly donut where if you push in one side of the jelly donut, the jelly is going to push out in the other direction. And so that's that's area number one. Um, area number two is the bones themselves. And we can, and with bones, whenever you have bones in motion, we have um, the development of arthritis. And so the development of arthritis and degeneration can actually impede and irritate the nerves that actually form the sciatic nerve. So those are the two most common structures uh, or tissues in the in that area. The second cause is in a way what we call overuse, because the reality is that our spines, specifically the low back, if you ever look at an, uh, a skeleton model of, of the low back, um, it's just a column, a column of five vertebrae that are stacked on top of your pelvis. And unlike your rib cage, your rib cage actually had, uh, unlike your thoracic spine, which has a rib cage, you're actually having a lot of that support. When you look at the spine, it's a, it's a, or your little low back, you only have five vertebrae and actually get supported by your abdomen and by your core. And, the, and if you don't use your core properly enough, or you, yeah, if you don't use your core properly enough, you actually end up resulting in a lot of spinal motions and think about taking a column like one column and just like moving it around significantly you're going to have a fair amount of wear and tear and so you have excessive motion that is actually going to be resulting in irritation of this nerve and then the the third cause is i i used to call it poor form i now actually reframe that and actually call it move uh inefficiencies in, in movement inefficiencies in how you're doing things and so a lot of people think well squats and deadlifts are bad for my back well, if you're lifting inefficiently, it's going to be putting a lot of load on your back and your back has to work extra hard and your spine and your back was not really designed to do all of the work. It was really more as a way to support structures. And so, um, what is it? Improper use, inefficient movement, causing a lot of stress and accumulating of, accumulation of stresses, which results in the production of pain. So you have your tissues, you have excessive movement, and then we also have inefficient movement. And the best ways to actually prevent this from actually happening, um, the, the number one thing is to keep moving. But then also number two, ensuring that you're actually, whenever you're moving, say the lower half of your body, and when I say lower half, it's going to be rib cage down, is whenever you're moving the lower half of your body, the majority of motion should actually be occurring at the hips. If you can focus on moving your hips more often, and have it take the majority of the motion whenever you're doing things, even something as simple as walking. When you address just hip motion itself, you're going to reduce your incidence, your risk of developing back or sciatica pain. What's also really interesting is that if you can emphasize movement at your hips, you will also reduce the risk of developing injuries in your knee and your ankle and your foot as well. So the hips are the big power generators. And as I was actually something that I learned in CrossFit um, that I was able to apply from a physical therapy standpoint, because we didn't really learn, we didn't talk about really the posterior chain, the buildup of your glutes and your hamstrings. 
to protect the back, to protect your knees and everything like that. A lot of my formal physical therapy education, well, first off, anyone who's fresh out of school, um, the phys- any any sort of medical, like even like, well, I'll speak on behalf of physical therapy school. Physical therapy school was actually designed so you can pass your board so you don't kill someone. Like that's that's the first thing, right? Taking care of someone, fixing someone is a different story. We learn a critical decision-making skills in school and also ensure that we don't kill anybody when we're out at the clinic. But that's kind of where it ends. We have a little bit of a basic knowledge, but it's up to your, it's up to us, us clinicians, that we need to actually further our knowledge so we can actually improve. And that's where I was able to get it from CrossFit, was being able to say, you got to use your hips. And when I saw, when I read that point, I said, that's, that's a no brainer. Yeah. That makes total sense. So you got to make sure that your hips are moving. So then everything else can actually function, function better. I love that, that you've kind of bridged the gap between different, um, systems, basically cross. I find CrossFit is a system. Physical therapy is a system and you've kind of bridged that gap. I like that you said earlier, uh, and I want to make sure that people are very clear on it. And I think you've made it very clear, but just to reemphasize, you said to use your core. And a lot of people, when they hear that, they think, oh, I'm going to do a thousand sit-ups a day. Well, that's, that's not it. You're talking about hip function and being a CrossFitter. I know exactly what that means. And our core is not just the rectus abdominis. It's not just the six pack that may or may not be visible. It's the things that are below it and above it that all counts, right? And so things like squats and deadlifts and cleans and all the things that require proper hip function, I said proper hip function, not improper, because if you do all those moves incorrectly or inefficiently, it's probably going to lead to some type of you know, disc degeneration or some type of injury down the road. But as long as you have proper function, those are great movements to help engage your core to prevent some of these things from happening in the in the long term. Would you agree? I agree a hundred percent. And I like to think about it as um I've been I've always had some sort of interest in cars. I just like how they work. I don't know that much about car models and everything. But the truth is is the fact that we I want you the listeners, like when it comes to caring, your caring for your body and say, pushing yourself and being resilient, being resilient is all about the concept of being able to take on any sort of specific challenge. Doesn't, doesn't give you permission to be reckless. Right. And so from there, if you're treating your body like a car, you can actually treat yourself like a Ferrari, like a formula one car. And if you drive it like a professional, you're going to be able to shift gears the way that you are. But if you're moving inefficiently, it's just like driving your car as hard as you can on first gear. You're going to burn the engine out. You're going to burn the transmission out. You're going to burn the clutch out if you have a really heavy foot. But for those folks who aren't really car enthusiasts, another example would be like you're driving on a road, on a highway, if you're from the East Coast, on a freeway, if you're from the West Coast. And the reality is every now and then it is okay for our cars and our tires to hit the curb because like you, you, you might have to hit the curb to avoid hitting the car in front of you. You're going to get a couple scuffs on your wheel, but you're going to be able to drive perfectly fine. But if you repeatedly drive yourself into the curb, you're going to wear down your tires. You're going to wear down your rims. Eventually you're going to have to replace your tire or replace your rim. Replace our rim. Great problem solved. 
but we need to make sure that we minimize the incidences of us actually driving into the curb itself because driving to those curbs, it's only there if we need it. And, and that's important is that we're not reckless. We have to have good movement habits. We have to take care of our bodies so then we can drive our cars fast and hard. I'm a big fan of car analogies. I love those. Oh, uh, awesome. Last question. I asked this to all of my, uh, my guests at the end, and I'd love to hear your, uh, I guess, idea on it. If our listeners could go away with one thing, what's one piece of advice you have to becoming a more resilient human? All right. So I think one of the most important things to become a resilient human is that you got to listen to your body. And combining listening to your body and 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 looking at and visualizing the pain, discomfort, no pain spectrum. And if you can operate within that discomfort spectrum, it's going to allow you to adapt and move. But you won't be able to see how you are or where you're at on that spectrum unless you look within. And so a lot of activities provide us an opportunity to have an outer body experience. But my challenge for you is to look deeper within and ask yourself, what am I experiencing? Where does this fall amongst the spectrum? Can I proceed or do I need to make changes? Love that. Have an inner body experience. Yes. That's awesome, man. Oh, yes. Anything else you want to kind of touch on or go over before uh, we sign off here? Um. Could I, could I tell the listeners about um, one of the programs I got going on? hundred percent. Let, let, her, let awesome. her loose. Cool. So um, listeners, what I, I run the uh, platform, ifixersciatica.com. It's supposed to help people overcome sciatica pain uh, without the use of medications or surgeries. And so I work with people one-on-one um, through my website, ifixersciatica.com. But I also have this really great program that I've been trying to launch um, it's called the sciatica protocol. And what it actually does, it helps people go through a really great customized stretching and exercise program without actually having to go see someone like me um, or even wait in line. Because right now, the typical wait times for any sort of healthcare practitioner, I know out here in the States is at least like two to three weeks. And so if you're experiencing some sciatica pain and want to address it now, you don't want to wait you get all this stuff sent directly to your phone um, and it's uh, really easy to follow designed to actually get you to the point where you can go back and be a resilient human um, and build off that. And so it's called the sciatica protocol. You can find it at ifixyoursciatica.com slash the dash sciatica dash protocol. Um, and uh, definitely check it out because I think it's going to, it's going to change the world. Love it. I'm going to put that in the show notes to make sure if anybody's uh, listening, they can just click away and and sign up. That's amazing. Awesome. Listen, Ashley, it's been great to have you. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this talk, this conversation. Uh, I hope you did as well. And uh, I'm wishing you all the best and all the success. Thanks, Kevin. It was great seeing you. Right on. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe. And I'll see you next time.